Welcome to the Job Shop Show, where we talk with the owners, suppliers, partners, and customers of custom manufacturers. Listen and learn the secrets of top-performing job shops, the tools, techniques, and backgrounds that have made them successful, all on the quest of raising the bar for custom manufacturing. I'm your host, Jay Jacobs. This episode is sponsored by our friends at the NTMA, the National Tooling and Machining Association. The NTMA is an association of privately held, entrepreneurial-based, and family-owned businesses, representing nearly 1,200 small to mid-sized machine shops and tool and die shops across the country. They have approximately 30 very active regional chapters that host local events, run apprenticeship programs, and provide other services to their regional members. As an association of peers, the goal of the NTMA is to help members of the U.S. precision custom manufacturing industry achieve profitable growth and business success in a global economy through networking, workforce development and training, technology, best practices education, advocacy, programs, and services with industry partners. To learn how your company can get involved with the NTMA, including how to join, visit ntma.org. This episode is sponsored by Paperless Parts, connecting buyers and suppliers of custom manufactured parts. The Paperless Platform is a secure, ITAR-compliant, cloud-based manufacturing system for suppliers that reduces the amount of time spent on sales, estimating, quoting, administration, and order processing. It offers seamless integration with the accounting and ERP software tools that shops already use, such as QuickBooks, E2, and JobBoss. Paperless Parts was founded with a mission to make manufacturing more accessible by streamlining the quote-to-cash process. Spend less time quoting and more time selling. Shazam! This is Jay Jacobs. Welcome to the Job Shop Show. I can't wait to get into our conversation today. Our guest is Bill Berrien of Pindell Global Solutions in New Berlin, Wisconsin. Pindell is a global manufacturer of precision machine components who has been around since 1947 and was acquired by Bill in 2012 after quite a fascinating career to that point. Bill's background is not typical of a shop owner. He is a Princeton and Harvard graduate, served as a Navy SEAL officer for nine years, was a General Electric executive, and also ran a private equity firm-backed company. Bill's passionate about leadership and a huge proponent of advanced manufacturing. We're going to get into upskilling, because without people, technology really doesn't work. And I think there's a lot to learn in how Bill takes his background and experiences and applies them to custom manufacturing. I have a feeling you should have a pen and paper ready for this conversation. Welcome to the Job Shop Show, Bill. Jay, thank you very much. Very happy to be here. Uh, thank you for asking. Well, the conversation we had before the show started it just I'm so excited to get into some of these things because they're you have such such a different twist on them but before I I get into some of those I want to start with a small question and I want to smart start with a big question okay and the small one is what time did you get up this morning and what does your morning routine look like got it got it uh I usually get up at about 4:15 or so uh for whatever reason, got up at like 3.50, woke up at 3.50 today, um, but went on a uh, went on a run. Um, and actually, coincidentally, uh, with it being month end and we've got a lot of stuff going and we want to you know push month end sales, uh, mm-hmm. 
after my run, ended up driving down to a lapping house, uh, Johnson LHG, um, to pick up a bunch of uh, actually ventilator components to get those up so they can get inspected and uh, on on the shipment this afternoon. So uh, no, every 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 job is possible, but that was that was this morning. <laughs> okay. So do you typically exercise first thing in the morning? Try to try to. I find uh, it's all it's number one good good thinking time. You know, mm -hmm. a little bit of meditation or something in the morning, exercise, and then just you know end of the day. Uh, I have kids who are between 13 and 19, three, uh, three, three children. Mm -hmm. And, um, no, just, you know, family, family activities start after work. So it's a lot yeah. easier to get it in the morning. Yeah. But so you, you grab some parts. What time did that get you into the shop at? I was in here. They opened up at about five, Five, you pick, picked it up at 5.30. It's, you know, 45 minute drive up from Kenosha. So I was uh, in the shop here by 6.15. A slow start then, huh? That's right, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I had a feeling that you were still an early riser based upon your uh, experience there. So here's a big question. It's after looking at your background and being aware of some of these significant accomplishments, I'm really curious to know, if we were having a follow-up podcast three years from now and you were to look back over those three years to today, what has to happen both personally and professionally for you to feel happy about your progress? Um, that's a great question. So I think over the next three years, some of my, uh, some of my key goals are to continue to build out the team, uh, both training and elevating internally. And then, um, you know, maybe, maybe a couple of additional, additional, uh, roles on the leadership team. Um, you know, so that I can focus on some of the things that I think I do better. Uh, I, I really like the, the sales and the customer relations front. Um, and then I've actually had a, uh, sort of a revelation during this COVID period, you know, especially around a uh, surge in demand for ventilator parts, even very quickly, uh, reshoring of supply chains to the US. Um, and you know, one, of my, one of my takeaways is that there is an opportunity out there for um, expedited production of you know, say machine parts and could be manufacturing machine parts specifically and maybe manufacturing in general. And so uh, <laughs> actually working on a, a little a little startup idea off to the side of maybe having, having being able to fill that market need. So more to follow, but uh, that could be an interesting sort of side project for me and Pindell over the next three years. Gotcha. Yeah. What does expedited production mean to you? Uh, so, you know, I, I, I look to your, uh, you know, past success with Rapid. I look to Proto Labs. Um, and, you know, I look to some of the players in the market out there, Zometry and some others. Um, for me, expedited production means the production volumes of parts. So not in the prototype space, 
um, but uh, but very very quick turnaround, um, you know, and, and possibly leveraging a uh, um, a network of you know machine machining partners out there. Um, so I've got some you know different uh, different ways of thinking about that, and uh, would be fun to have a uh, another podcast on that topic in two years time to see how that's, <laughs> <laughs> to see how that's, that's come along. Um, but I, I, I do see some, uh, potentially some interesting opportunities there that, uh, I'm working on exploring. Yeah. Well, certainly there were disruptions in the supply chain that created demands for expedited production. And it sounds like in the ventilator world, you were able to meet some of those. That's right. Needs. That's right. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's sort of fascinating um, seeing, realizing actually the parallels between my special operations background and this advanced manufacturing world that actually, you know, became apparent in this, uh, you know, expedited ventilator production phase. So, you know, just to, to frame that, you know, here we were, you know, mid-March, um, the ventilator push started, you know, we actually didn't make parts for any ventilator OEMs and now we're making them for about five. Um, but when that first wave came through, it was five components, five different components needed, you know, thousands of pieces each all simultaneously, um, and all, you know, started shipping within a week. And, uh, it was, you know, it, it jerked us out of what had been, you know, a dec decades old sort of model of how we process parts and how they come through and things taking more time and all that. And it was fun sort of putting on a, a little more of a special operations hat of yes. how do you break down the problem, you know, delegate uh, even more broadly than you would before, you know, taking some risks, not customer risks, but, you know, uh, cost and production risks um asking people to you know contribute more than they had in the past and in different ways mm -hmm. um and so you know interestingly you know my time in the special operations the seal teams you know i would characterize that community as you know the larger special operations community as um highly cohesive teams uh highly capable you know enabled by advanced technology and trying to do outsized and aggressive things. And I actually believe that same set of words applies incredibly well to the advanced manufacturing world, you know, where you do have small, highly cohesive teams, um, you know, highly trained, you know, it is a very skilled, skilled workforce requirement, uh, right. enabled by advanced technology. You know, you look at a Swiss machine, I mean, that is incredibly advanced and incredibly automated, uh, but you know, requiring this high level skill you know, and trying to do outsized things. You know, you're trying to, you know, punch above your weight as mm -hmm. a team, as a business, you know, and frankly, I think as a, you know, US-based industry, um, I see a future opportunity for um, the US to be the, 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 man, the, the, the factory floor, the manufacturing floor for, for the world and to reclaim that title from, from China. And I think, the hundred year old ecosystem that we have in this country, especially in the upper Midwest here, uh -huh. uh, the eco that ecosystem 
the very skilled workforce that we have. And you start to layer on top of that even more automation, AI, things like that. I, I, I think the future is very bright for advanced manufacturing uh, in this country. What are some specific tactics you took from the small team experience you had in, as a SEAL that you, that you, you were, as you said, pretty agile before COVID, but, but you had to become more agile. So what, what did you say, okay, what could we do better? And I'd like to get some real specifics that sure, some sure. other job shop owners might think were valuable. No, that'd be, that'd be great. I mean, okay, so if you, if you take a look at a 16-person SEAL platoon, you know, and we would, you know, uh, group up into larger, larger, you know, task forces, you know, 3264. Uh, but, you know, you look at your, you know, I was a platoon commander, so I was, com I was uh, the commander of a 16 SEAL platoon. Um, when you're talking about units that size, you need to have a tremendous amount of cross-training, tremendous amount of redundancy, you know, because, mm. you know, your comm guy, you know, takes a bullet. You know, you can't be without comms. I mean, that's your biggest, your biggest weapon on the battlefield. So mm -hmm. you have to have, you know, everyone else needs to be adept at that. You know, everyone else is adept at medical treatment, shooting, demolition. So there's a tremendous amount of cross-training. So I brought that mindset into into Pindell, uh, because this was, this was my insight to the industry, you know, not having had, you know, really much depth at all coming into it. But one of my insights is the typical model is you have one guy's the programmer, you have fewer setup guys, and you have other operators. Um, and, you know, we, we adopted a, a different uh, model at Pindell. Number one, we don't have operators. We have all machinists, various levels of training, and happy to get into talking about how our professional development program is structured. But number one, you know, we, we, have, all, we have all machinists, just varying levels of progress in the profession. Um, and that, mm. you know, varying levels means uh, some of those machinists that might be normally running a machine, well, they're capable of, you know, setting up some parts too. And, you know, having the, the confidence of the team and, you know, various levels of difficulty of parts. But also, uh, you know, going down to that, the typical model of you've got one really skilled programmer and all the programs funneling through them, through, through that person. You know, right. that's, that's a recipe for, you know, what happens if that guy takes a headshot, you know, gets hit by the proverbial bus, you know, where, mm -hmm. where are you? So, over the over my tenure at Pindell, we have aggressively sent team members to you know, part maker course, feature cam. You know, we're we're just bringing in Esprit, um, and already someone that is not one of the traditional programmers is actually our first guy going over to the you know get get the Esprit training. Mm. So you know, you end up in this environment as we did in mid March of five part numbers, brand new to us, highly complex, you know, due in a week, um, need to go through simultaneously. You know, we, we spread those among four different folks that could program. Uh, we opened up, you know, you know, there's a necessary capacity. So programming, setting up, going, you know, and we had, you know, production parts anodized, you know, about an hour away, uh, mm -hmm. you know, starting to ship in a week. And it was sort of that, that aha moment of, uh, you know, if that, 
was the industry or has been the industry's typical model of, you know, long tenured, work your way up a ladder and, you know, into, you know, become the sort of the gatekeeper in some of those highly skilled functions. We wanted to look at it differently. We wanted to, you know, yes, that individual's machining, technical machining skill might not be at a level where, you know, the you're pushing them into programming where they're, they're there might be missteps and they uh -huh. might not fully take advantage of it. But I think it's easier, you know, giving them individuals that additional programming perspective and the knowledge there, you know, actually lets them backward fill some of their machining skills much more quickly. And um, yeah, so that, you know, you, 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 Jay wanted to talk specifics. Uh, you know, I think that that was really, really one of the specifics, but it, it cascades over into, okay, how are we going to do the in-process check sheets? How are we going to do, you know, the CMM programs? Um, you know, we have a number of people that we're sending to CMM training. We're just, we actually just have a uh, Zeiss own spec inbound and, you know, part of that negotiation, Hey, we're, you know, we're pushing for two, we push for two or three seats at the, uh, at the Zeiss training for that. Again, not just one program. We need to, you know, you don't want that, you know, magic bullet to take out uh, your, uh, your, your one person in that. Um, and, you know, one of our philosophies is over time, we got to work smarter, not harder. Because mm -hmm. if you go to the, you know, gardeners uh, chop, top shops show, where top right. shops show, where they uh, profile and they create metrics around who are the top shops, you know, the top shops are the revenue dollar return to employee, not to machine. And if you extend that thinking, what you're really saying there is you want to enable each of your employees to the maximum extent possible with productivity enhancing tools. So uh -huh. our model is, look, number one, we got to work smarter, not harder. Number two, automation is not your enemy. Automation is your friend. Because if you can program it, set it up, run it, troubleshoot it, maintain it, that's your ticket to a higher wage. I mean, you got to you got to embrace that. You got to invest in yourself. You know, there are lots of, you know, Udemy courses, uh, yes. you know, Titan of CNC, YouTube videos, and you need to let the, let the company invest in you. Um, so yeah, a little long winded answer, but uh, you know, it's a little uh, no, philosophy. I, I, yeah, I, I love it. And I want to get back to a few of those things, but just to help the listener understand yeah the context of what we're talking about. Can you just tell us about Pindell, the, what you do, the size, number of people, equipment, just some of the basics real quick. Yep, yep, great. So actually, our, our, you, you mentioned a Pindell Global Solutions at the beginning. It's actually a Pindell Global Precision. Um, I'm sorry. Nope, all good. Um, so company was founded in 1947, downtown Milwaukee, uh, multi-spindle screw machines. So it always had, you know, Acme Gridleys, actually in the, in the basement of a building down there, uh, downtown Milwaukee. It came, came out just west uh, here in New Berlin, I guess in the uh, 60s, mid-60s. Uh, still, still all multi-spindles until uh, the 90s, got into CNC. But the traditional model was blanking off parts on the multi-spindle and then taking it over to... Uh, the CNCs for secondary and tertiary operations. Um, you know, the, and we, you know, the multi-spindles, which we have, we have 26 multi-spindles. They're in their own plant. Um, 
I mean, what a tribute to human ingenuity. I mean, it mm. is you know, the fact that you can take a electric motor and through cams and gears be powering, you know, eight spindles, tooling going in, timing, nice. uh, you know, and the volume, the volumes are terrific. Um, so that is absolutely a great uh, stool, uh, one of the legs of, of, the, of the Pindell stool uh, that our industrial customers love it um, because you can get that kind of complexity at volume, at price, um, you know, it's, it's great. Um, and then we have another facility that's probably about 40 CNC's in an assembly department. Um, uh, we've made, we have, we just had delivered a, uh, Sugami S206. Um, so now we have 12, um, CNC Swiss machines mm-hmm. and, uh, part of, you know, part of our evolution. I mentioned the prior model of blanked off the multi-spindles, secondary ops and all that, you know, we, you know, we're, we're shooting for parts complete. So the multi-spindles are largely doing multi-spindle only parts and the multi-axis lays and the C and the Swisses, those are doing complex parts complete co- coming off there. So we've really pulled off of a lot of our machines that were, um, uh, you know, secondary and tertiary ops. And those have been devoted to, you know, primary ops for other parts. Um, yeah. So now we have, you know, we have, give you the high level metrics, mm-hmm. two facilities within a block of each other, total of about 95,000 square feet between the two plants, 65 employees, non-union, two ships, uh, five eights, four tens, uh, as well as some creative <clears throat> thinking around some Saturdays, even some Sundays, you know, how we, uh, you know, get the team's help for those. Um, about 30% of our business goes outside of the U.S. And we're actually on the cusp of incubating another brand uh, to be called Liberty Precision. That's uh-huh. going to be the brand for our CNC building. So Pindell is the, the, the overall, Pindell Global Precision, the overall global company. And uh-huh. Liberty is going to be the, the high precision CNC division of that in one of the buildings. You know, try to appeal to... Uh, <clears throat> The medical and aerospace markets because we're hopefully uh two or two months away from our uh, as9100 certification why incubate a new brand and not just keep running with pindell well you know it's interesting so in our brochures we we lay out this this spectrum of capabilities mm-hmm. and you know from multi-spindles on one side to you know, programmable B-axis, uh, Swiss, uh, you know, Sugami Swiss, uh, CMM, O-Inspect, all that on the, on the other end. <clears throat> and what we found was that if we get a customer on either extreme of that spectrum, the mere fact that we have capabilities on the other end of the spectrum is a turnoff. You know, we would get the uh-huh. medical and the aerospace uh, folks and they would see, ooh, you know, they still have multi-spindles, you know, they're not going to, you know, they're not going to be able to meet the, the tight tolerances and the, uh-huh. you know, part accountability and, 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 and all of that, that, um, that we need in our industry. Uh, you know, whether that's right or wrong, that's, that was the, the feedback we're getting. Then you get the hardcore industrial folks who love the multi-spindles. They, you know, that's where they want to have all their business. And they look right. across at the other end of the spectrum and they go, wow, 
all that whiz bang stuff, those parts are going to be expensive. You know, let's move right. on. So, <laughs> you know, so uh, yeah, that's the reason, you know, trying to do a little bit of a, I, a marketing jujitsu. Yeah, I think it makes sense because I kept that rapid. We, I just called it rapid as a overarching name, but we enabled the salespeople to go in and sell sheet metal specifically yeah. as rapid sheet metal, right. machining specifically as rapid machining and wire harnesses and cable assemblies. We had rapid wire cable because we didn't necessarily have the, we won't do business with you argument, but it confused folks. Yep. And I think it, if you have a shop with a lot of different capabilities, you, um, I don't know what the solution is for every shop because the situations are different, but there is, if you're trying to sell a buyer a specific service or the buyer is looking for a specific service, they can get easily confused, as you said, and have misconceptions about what all the other things do or don't do for them. Yep, I agree. So being really tight with branding and marketing, I, I like that idea. I think it's going to pay off for you. Well, thanks, Jay. And I actually uh, was looking at and admiring uh, your rapid site. I went into the uh, the internet's w uh, way back machine. Uh, <laughs> sure. I think I, it was pegged at like maybe 2017, 2016 when I was looking at, you know, it takes yeah. those snapshots of the websites. And uh, I, I, I thought, you know, I really liked your the website then and how you, you segmented, yeah, the rap, rapid machining, you know, rapid uh, sheet metal, uh, the wire harnesses. I think that was uh, good. Yeah, to that to that point, it's um, different customers have have different needs, and you want to um, you know think that they you want them to think and experience that they are um, they 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 fit solidly mm -hmm. in your um, in your in your wheelhouse and you know and, and it's not just you know we're for you it wasn't just mar a marketing play and for us it's, it's not a marketing play you know it it would be a different thing if we had uh, you know all in one facility and um, you know you might well, get I that think, crossing a culture, I think but. that that's an interesting observation we had separate facilities because what I found is that the mindset for prototype and the mindset for production were like oil and water and that they had to be separated. Otherwise you would make people's brains fry. Mm -hmm. uh, but mm -hmm. that said, one thing that I would have liked to have done better is we didn't have a formal mechanism to bring people say from sheet metal into machining and, what I mean by that is perhaps the customer service folks or the the uh, estimators. Right. The ability that I think what you're getting at, what you talked a lot about before was culture. And that's a way to make sure that culture is cross-trained and that the different groups don't view the other as a competitor or it's, right. at least it's friendly competition right. so the there's a lot of opportunities to work with your team there but you have to be conscious that you do need to separate them for specific tasks yeah. that probably uh, goes back to the military right 
Well, yeah, I mean, it goes back to the military. It also, if you looked at, um, you know, Clay Christensen's, uh, you know, Innovator's Dilemma, and he was a, uh, mm-hmm. a, a professor of mine in business school. And, you know, one of his takeaways from the Innovator's Dilemma is you need to, you need to have some of that cultural separation, you know, especially when you're trying to do different things. I mean, his was yes. more, uh, you know, uh, incumbent legacy versus, you know, a disruptive innovation. You need to separate that um, mm-hmm. because otherwise the, innova- the innovation group gets, you know, strangled in the crib. Um, but I think it applies equally here. I mean, our overarching motto is we want to do complex, difficult parts at medium volume. And complex, difficult is tolerances, features, dimensions, and lead time. Uh, you know, and that we're, we're, we're pushing into that more of how do we lower our lead times. Again, that's both plants and, mm-hmm. you know, both you know, multi-spindle and CNC, you know, and then medium volume, um, each of the, you know, the two plants have different, you know, sort of what would be considered medium volume, you know, medium volume on a, on a multi-spindle. Mm, right, is, right. <laughs> yeah, 20,000 to 300,000 or 400,000. Um, you know, and on a CNC, you know, even a Swiss, you know, you're talking medium volume is a thousand to 40,000. Um, so yeah. And what we're experiencing right now, you know, with uh, lower oil and gas and, you know, some customers softer and others, you know, especially we've made this pivot over on the medical and ventilators and, and all that. Um, we're actually, you know, swapping some of the guys, you know, back and forth between the plants, depending on the shift. Cause again, Mm -hmm. They're all machinists, mm, and, right. and, the, and the multi-spindle team. I mean, again, they are they are closest to the cut of how that tool is cut in the material, and you know it's always fascinating to see them come over to the CNC and you know be bringing in that form tool technology. Mm-hmm. You know, different thoughts on you know how to you know cut it in a. Uh, a more mechanical way that's not CNC controlled, but then having that capability and then vice versa, you know, the learning of the CNC team to be able to go over and, you know, you know, experience that, uh, that how, how the material is being cut and how tools need to adjust, need to be adjusted. And again, how they're using foam tools and shave tools and things. <laughs> it's, uh, it's neat. It's neat to see. Yeah. Yes. And it's uh, sort of in the, in-house apprenticeship because both from a uh, an age perspective but also just that experience i i want to go back you mentioned that you uh, were lucky enough to have clay christensen as as a professor and that's uh, i've read some of his stuff pretty remarkable fellow what would you say to fellow harvard business school graduates about manufacturing why would they want to think about getting involved in the manufacturing field? Um, well, look, I mean, I mean num- number one, um, I, I, I believe, you know, if we don't retain the ability as a country to, you know, make things and to um, be able to move ideas into, you know, physical goods, um, nice. You know that. You know the success is not long for long for the country. So I think um, number one, you know, some from a you know a patriotic or sort of just looking at your um, your 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 place in the world, um, mm-hmm. your manufacturing is 
you know, a critical skill and, and industry to maintain. So there's number one, that element of it. Number two, um, I think the landscape is, is, is really changing that, um, you know, from a, from a, you know, companies like, like ours, you know, our portion of the market, it's, 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 it's pretty fragmented and you don't have uh, really big movers. And so I think you have, you have, you have opportunities there to number one, you know, exercise leadership skills, number two, strategic skills. Nice. Um, you know, there's, I think the future again, bright, I think there's financial opportunity that, um, you know, to, I, I've, I really enjoy it. As, I met, yeah, as you mentioned in your intro, running uh, two private equity, no, helping run uh, two private equity backed companies. You know, they're both in services, um, you know, one healthcare, one, one financial services. But, um, you know, that I've got a little a book of, you know, be, uh, what is it like, uh, lessons learned of guidance on running your company like it's like it's owned by a private equity firm. And I think there's a lot of, yes. uh, a lot of good discipline there. Um, so, but again, going back to you know, an earlier point about the future of manufacturing, I think you take the ecosystem that exists. And again, we machine, but we use heat treaters, platers, grinders, you know, mm-hmm. I mentioned the lapping house that I was down at, you know, all within half an hour. So, you know, you look at the, the, the Midwest, but it really speaks to the whole country. Uh, this awesome ecosystem that goes back a hundred years. You've mm-hmm. got a skilled workforce with, you know, the digitization of manufacturing, you know, providing this great opportunity to use video game like skills and thinking <laughs> now in a yeah. production environment. I mean, you look at a, you know, a spree, uh, program cam program simulation i mean it is you know it's it's a video game in a way and it's underpinned by you know a lot of technical knowledge uh but it's not it's not your grandfather's style manufacturing it's not your father's style manufacturing we 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 used to put out ads like to play video games right come talk to us and 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 it worked that the skills are transferable that's right i mean i mean to have uh um, you know, what is it? Um, you know, Quake or one of those 3D environment, uh, you know, think it, thinking around lots, lots of moving parts. Well, 3D environment speaks to, you know, a program mm-hmm. com- coming, off, coming off a, uh, you know, uh, Sugami programmable B yeah. Swiss machine. Uh, how do you think of all the interactions? What, what's simultaneous? So, yeah, you know, so in, in answer to your question, um, you know, you didn't get a lot of, HBS grads necessarily going into manufacturing, just as you don't get a lot going into sales, which I, I always think is a mistake because you know mm-hmm. sales is this you know awesome awesome world and and value creating world where it's about understanding your customer, what solutions they need, what you can offer. Um, but I think the uh, you know I think it's an exciting future that I would you know encourage uh, business school grads to think differently about. What we're seeing at Paperless Parts is that a number of PE firms are either moving into rolling up manufacturing or just being formed to roll up manufacturing companies, five to 20 plus million dollar shops. And they 
really see that the fragmentation, much like many of the other industries out there, the waste management, mm -hmm. the automation, the, as you said, the digitization and the data that is starting to become available allow you to systematize a lot of what was not able to be done before. And right. I think we're at, at the cusp. And if you are a graduate of HBS, you are a smart person and manufacturing needs you. So I mean, think about us. <laughs> <laughs> All good. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that digitization, I mean, the, the, the circle is getting tighter and tighter. I mean, you look at, you know, we take a SOLIDWORKS CAD model, you know, imported into a, um, a spree CAM program, you know, moved over to um, SOLIDWORKS inspection that generates the inspection sheets, um, mm -hmm. you know, then over to the, you know, the CMM, the Calypso CMM program. We have machine metrics that we're piloting on, you know, uh, 20 machines on our floor. So mm -hmm. real-time data. Yep. Um, and I'm working with Lu Zhang, their uh, uh, machine metrics data scientist. And how do you, how do you potentially leverage that data to do predictive tool failure? Um, you know, because it's just a, um, you know, a, uh, uh, a label, label data problem, you know, uh -huh. some, some supervised machine learning there. Um, you know, you, you work through those, then you work, you know, the inspection systems coming right off. So the, the circle is tightening. And I, I just tend to think that those who can be part of the tightening sooner, um, you know, hopefully they're the ones that can lead some of the roll up and lead some of the, 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 the scaling in manufacturing. You mentioned that 30% of your business comes from outside the U S is, is mm -hmm. that the, or is that shipments revenue of parts going outside the U S but maybe being purchased within the U S uh, or how, how does that all work and how, and how, how did you make that happen? Well, I, I can't say we, we made it happen. I mean, it, uh, you know, over the 70 years of, of Pindell, um, you know, started with some US only OEMs that, mm -hmm. you know, globalized and, you know, maybe it's assembly plants in Mexico or, you know, stuff in Canada or over in Europe. And we, <clears throat> we, we followed those customers on their, on their global journey. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, that's led to that, that piece of it. Now, Pindell, we've we're in the process of developing some machining affiliates uh, in you know down in down in Mexico, Mexico City, um, another one over in um, the Netherlands, and then one that we've had a long time relationship with um, over in over in China. Um, don't know exactly where that leads. Um, you know, it's the opportunity to, you know, share quotes, share ideas, you know, get access to the EU, uh -huh. uh, Asia markets, things like that. But, you know, it's the, in the Pindell global precision sense, it's the global customer complement or a global production complement to, a, you know, a global customer um, legacy. So, you know, it's, uh, it's not, it's not really time intensive for the team, but it's an, it's another, you know, sort of arrow in your quiver that you can bring to 
you know, perhaps mm -hmm. a global OEM saying, look, we can, we can make some parts, you know, here at Pindell facilities in the US, you know, mm -hmm. we've got an affiliate down in Mexico that we're, we're developing, you know, we, uh, you know, in general, we don't, the machining down in Mexico, they're, 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 you know, much more uh, experienced and adept at um, assembly, you know, the mm -hmm. machining and machining isn't developed, but we're, we're trying to develop an affiliate down there or continue to develop. I mean, they've already existed for a while. Um, and then, you know, very sophisticated um, affiliate over in, uh, over in the Netherlands. Um, yeah. So. want to get back a little bit between the similarities or dissimilarities between the military and manufacturing and before we were talking about the uh, similarities back in the 60s and when the military had the draft and the military moved to an all-volunteer force, I think it was in the 70s, and mm -hmm. you observed the change that the military had to undergo that didn't necessarily flow into manufacturing. Can you just elaborate on that to talk about that concept? Sure, sure. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, a, it, it's an insight I've had along the way that um, I think could, could help the industry in the future. Mm -hmm. So my insight would be that up until the late 60s, early 70s, that manufacturing and the military were largely in line. Um, and that being in line, sort of characterized by, um, you know, on the military side, you had, you know, uh, all draft, you, know, the, you had the draft, and that's how, you know, people weren't long tenured. Uh, they would come into the service, initial level of training, typically move out. You didn't have uh, a lot of professional development, you know, in that kind of a model. You didn't have senior non-commissioned officer academies. You didn't have rigorous selection for advancement of your non-commissioned officer ranks. Um, and I think that was you know, the biggest undeveloped gap in that period, I would say, was on the non-commissioned officer. So, you know, sergeants, chiefs. Um, in the in, in all the services, uh -huh. um, similarly in the is similarly in manufacturing, you know people there there you know there was a lot of lot of, lot of movement around. Um, you you didn't necessarily stay with a company that that long. There there weren't structured professional development programs. It was smaller shops. A lot of what you learned was specific to that shop. So there wasn't a lot of mobility. There wasn't a way you could sort mm. of carry your resume to other companies or other regions, um, you know, and, but the, the break in that cycle was when the military went to an all volunteer force, a uh, very different model where it's very difficult and it's, it's become even more so very difficult to get into the military, very high standards there of, mm -hmm. you know, intelligence and conduct and ethics and, uh, you know, all, all, all those things. But once you're in terrific professional development programs, you know, where you, you know, especially on the NCO core, you are taking someone through, through their 20, 30 year career and having 
rigorous gates for advancement, you know, advanced training and leadership and technical skills. You know, I talk about how you know technical the military has gotten in the, the weapons systems and all that. You know, unfortunately, at that same point, you know, early 70s, the manufacturing stopped tracking to that model. You know, they, they, they continued on their other path, but I'd say even got a little more challenging because you had globalization, you had, um, you know, not a lot of investment in training, jobs being shifted overseas, different regions, different things like that. Um, you know, and you got a little bit of that um, sort of moniker uh, that fortunately has gone away, but in those days, you know, the dark, dirty, and dangerous sort of characterized, mm. manu characterized manufacturing. Sure. Um, now, I see, you know, over the past 10 years and accelerating, you know, manufacturing getting its legs back that, you know, you know, going back to, you know, realization of the ecosystem, the, you know, the opportunities of automation, you know, CNC Swiss, multi-axis lathe, you know, five-axis mill, you know, all of that. You've got these professional development programs, you know, you're seeing it in the high schools, you're seeing it in, in uh, 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 technical colleges, all of that. And you're, you're getting professional development paths that can carry an individual through, you know, through a, through a career. And, you know, one of our beliefs at Pindell is that everyone is looking for and deserves a profession, that a profession should not be the province of lawyers, accountants, and doctors, you know, those sort of, sort of white collar workforce. No, I mean, everyone is looking for a profession. And by a profession, it's something that, you know, whatever they, what they're devoting their time to is going to accrue value, uh, that it, you know, that it, that it be valuable as, it, as, as it is, that it be enduring, it's not here today, come tomorrow, uh, and that it be transferable. That, you know, if you leave your machine role company A, you should be able to easily convince company B of what your value add is, uh, and, 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 you know, that profession should follow you. And, you know, to that end at Pindell, we've created what we call the Pindell Professional Development Program. So nice. we have six levels of machinist, six levels of CNC, six levels of multi-spindle machinist. Um, each one of those levels, we have required courses, online courses through Tooling U. So, you know, level one, nice. usually expected classes, level two, right. you know, on and on. We have at each level uh, required on the job um, you know, sort of skill, skill fluency demonstrations. So not just retrain, check the box. No, have you, are you able to demonstrate that you, you know, know, you know, for a level three multi-spindle machinist, you know, there are some rigorous skills you need to demonstrate you can do, you know, similarly on the CNC side. You know, and the last part is on the transferability, um, we've integrated in NIMS credentialing. So I think it's like National Institute of maybe Metalworking Science um, okay. And they have three levels of CNC credentials, three levels of multi-spindle credentials, you know, as well as industrial maintenance and quality. They knew now the programming, a CAM programming Could credential. You, so what is the name of that organization again? Uh, well, the, the acronym for sure is NIMS. Okay. In November, India, um, Michael Sierra. Um, it's, it's something like the National Institute of Metalworking Science, and they have. And so their 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 role is to provide a standardization of what skills 
mean for a role? They provide standardization of the skills, and then they provide a requirement if you want to credential someone at that level of third-party confirmation that, mm. that the individual so has this, that. So this is something the machinist can carry to another employer exactly. if, if something happened to Pindell. Because of exactly. course they would never leave you. <laughs> that's right. That's right. But but you know, in 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 their best interest, you, you right. want them to have that that yes. that professional because it you yes. know, it, it 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 helps on the come in too. You know, when you're mm-hmm. talking to uh, you know high school students and all that, and, and most importantly, their parents. I mean, you you know, again, everyone wants a profession, and most importantly, parents want a profession. They want to know that you're getting into this this profession track that you know is going to be again a crew value it's going to be enduring and you're not going to be beholden just to pindell or just to you know xyz mm-hmm. manufacturing company so you know that's part of the sales pitch is to the parents um yeah and so those are those are the elements that we that we go for um so you know, do you does pindell pay for yep. all the courses and all, all this stuff that's that's yep. absorbed by you not the a team member or nope absolutely you know and you know if if jay i could uh segue on that note into would it be okay to segue into some thoughts on on upskilling i would love to have you do that but i want to ask you though okay good first and we're going to get there the mindset of a shop owner so you are spending all this money to help your team members gain skills, which they can be credentialed to and they can carry with them. But as you help them improve their skills, you make them more valuable and they should be paid more. And do you pay your team members more once they get those skills and credentials? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, our, our motto is more value created, more value captured. So, Mm -hmm. you know, if the individual can create more value through their, you know, time, effort, and attention, we want them to capture more value, you know, both in terms of wage growth, uh, bonuses, incentives. Um, We actually launched uh, what we call uh, here the 250-50 plan. Uh, So we launched this last year, Um, Mm. 250-50. So rolled it out to the team. And the goal there is in four years, we want to double double the size of the business so that's that's the two mm-hmm. we we want to increase by 50 percent the profit the gross profit percentage of the business so mm-hmm. you know if you're doubling it you don't want to it means every you know one on the payroll needs to contribute more value as opposed to you know double the business double the headcount which right, we don't want right. which we don't want to do um so everyone needs to contribute more and also you migrate into you know, higher margin parts and, you know, you know, know, trim the laggards and, you know, try to invest in the good ones. And then the last 50%, the last 50 of the 250-50 is, you know, over the next four years, if those first two work, we would like to increase by 50% everyone's compensation. You know, whether that's, it's not necessarily on wage, it's, you know, incentives, it's, you know, shared, shared upside, you know, elements like that. But, that's only possible, you know, if you run the models, that's only possible if you, you do the first two well. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and to that end, 
you know, you're, you're on that journey. You are asking people to, in order to achieve those goals, to create more value, you know, which is, you know, creating more value. It's either, it's either, you know, increasing the time they devote or it's increasing the value per unit of time. And that Uh requires the training and that requires the investment in the technology, you know, whether it's Swiss or CMM or, you know, it's down to the, you know, you know, how do you increase the capability of your, your shipping team? You know, mm-hmm. how do you mm-hmm. know, put all this stuff in boxes and all that, and, you know, okay, with, you know, tape dispensing, you know, th- things like that, um, you know, or shipping technology. Um, so that's the, uh, you're but right. This, I mean, that's, that's the progression. But, but this is really important that an owner has the mindset that not only do you need to spend money on bringing the capabilities of your team up, but you also have to get beyond the way that wages were increased, which was a annual review and a cost of living and maybe a merit increase because what it sounds like you are doing is now paying your team members based upon what their value is to the outside world, not what an incremental increase from where they were at Pindell. You know, that, that's right, Jay. I mean, it has to be. Um, and that, and that, that really raises your, your costs. So you have, but as you say, if you are doing all the right things, the productivity outraces the costs that you incur with the labor increases. Right. It does. And, you know, and, but that's hopefully, you know, again, made up by increasing sales and then, you know, increasing value output per, per individual. Right. So, you know, frankly, as I look at, as I look at Pindell, um, I feel we could be double or more the size that we are, you know, without significantly more investments, you know, without, you know, really that many more team members. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, if anything, we're, we're sales constrained, you know, we're, we're, you know, looking for those opportunities. When I, when I acquired Pindell, you know, the uh, Mark Pindell, the prior owner was sole sales, sole quoting, and a lot of customer service. Um, and, you know, <laughs> tremendous, tremendous amount of service to, to the legacy customers, but, you know, yep. it wasn't, you know, wasn't able to do a lot of new customer acquisition. You know, we've since moved to a, uh, a manufacturing rep model, which we are, you know, very, very happy with. Um, and we see a lot of, a lot of good traction, you know, if you find the right teams there, which we have, um, you know, and additionally, so, you know, if there are any, if there are any listeners out there that uh, are looking for open capacity, you know, please call. <laughs> <laughs> so I, honestly, I think, you know, it's, it, it, it's, you know, I, as I say to the team, with sales, anything is possible. So, That's uh, right. you know, it, it, all your, all your wildest dreams, you know, we can, we can make happen with the, you know, with the right level of, you know, sales and, you know, pro, you know, obviously profitability, but you, you, you're, you're, you want to be on that journey there. Sales make the magic happen. We, I promise that we let the, give you some time to talk about the upskilling. So you're really big into that. You're passionate about it. What is upskilling first of all? Okay. So upskilling, I believe 
that there are two different segments to uh, you know the, the let's just say the advanced manufacturing workforce. We'll, we'll hold it there, although I think it's it's you know it's broadly applicable across uh, across you know all sorts of industries. But there are two different groups. There are the training of those who are under 25 mm. years old, and there's the training of those that are over 25 years old. If you are under 25 years old, you are still in that world where you are willing to take out uh, student loans. You are willing to invest, you know, go to school based on those student loans, you know, with the assumption that you will find a good job that uses those skills afterward. You're willing to go to school in the typical, you know, full-time, you know, legacy schoolhouse, you know, industrial schoolhouse model of, you know, whatever, sort of, you know, eight to three, you know, right, right, right there smack in the middle of, uh, you know, industry productivity hours. But, mm-hmm. you know, you're, that's, that's the sort of uh, characteristics that are, are you know, unique to someone that's under 25 years old. Once you get over 25 years old, you have car payments, house payments, kids, you, you're not going to get that demographic um, taking out more debt to pay for their own education with jobs on the come um, and not be able to work basically, you know, most of the time while they are going to school. And so I think as a society, the pendulum is swinging and we're starting to get much more sort of the industrial arts, advanced manufacturing for that under 25 group. But the over 25, it is not, I believe, we're not, we're not as a society serving them well. And that is the portion of the population that is that I think needs to, that we need to create paths for upskilling to increase increase the skills that they already have, mm-hmm. you know, or you know, create different path pathways to you know move someone maybe from shipping that wants to go into manufacturing or increase their shipping skills or increase their you know machining skills, whatever it is. And what I think needs to happen in the future is we need to figure out a different upskilling model. And I've you know ideas and been working with their, uh, you know, Milwaukee Chamber of Commerce, MMAC on some different ways to create it here uh, first. But, you know, we need to have ways that the skills are industry led, they're industry paid, not to say there can't be, you know, training grants, state training grants Uh and various, you know, public support for the work that industry needs to do to upskill the population, you know, and, you know, sort of throughout a career shift those skills because, you know, you know, the CMM operator skills of 15 years ago are vastly different from the ones they're going to require now to move forward. So industry led industry paid. um, I think we're in the era of the shared economy. And so I actually don't think that the physical schoolhouses of technical colleges and such are the best places to administer those skills. I think you've got, you know, in this sort of shared economy world, you know, I could envision upskilling courses being, you know, offered by one company, training tools provided by another, instructor provided by a third, um, you know, and, you know, ideally a curriculum that might be certified or credentialed by a technical college so that, Uh, those individuals going through the training, maybe they can stack these credentials over time and, you know, move towards an associate's degree or a bachelor's degree, and maybe later on into engineering or things like that. Um, but, 
you know, let's say you're paying for, if I wanted to pay, you know, send someone, see, the challenge is that anyone, you know, the big guys, the IBMs, the GEs, the, uh, you know, those, those folks, they can have all the in-house training they want. Right. Uh, you know, GE, we had Crotonville and all these advanced management courses and all of that. But you talk small, medium-sized enterprises like, you know, mine and other machining companies, it is really suboptimal to train your own people. Because I, number one, I'm losing the productivity of the person getting the training. And then typically it's a one-on-one -on -one training of someone else I'm losing the productivity for. Uh, so you're losing this, this it, right. it, it's expensive to do it. Um, but if we can create this other model, I'd love to be able to send someone to, you know, more advanced machining skills. You know, maybe they're going to, you know, a company right down the street with a instructor that's, you know, contracted to come in and talk. and oh, they're, you know, their metrology tools are being provided by, training tools being provided by another company. You know, and for the, whatever the fee, let's just say it's, you know, you know, a hundred bucks a day or something like that. You know, the company that provides the facility, okay, they get 10% of that fee. You know, the training tool company, they get another 10%. The instructor, they're getting 20% of the fee. You know, but you have a class of, you know, 15 students for a week coming mm -hmm. from all these different places. And we're the industry, we're, re we're leading the curriculum. We're paying for it because it benefits us to have that person elevated in their skill set. Um, right. You know, and so, you know, that's one, I don't want to jump to the solution, but, you know, the bigger thing is to recognize that we have a challenge. We have a, you know, we have a gap because technology is moving fast. It's not just advanced manufacturing. It's, you know, it could be, you know, how do you increase someone's Excel pivot table skills so they can do more data analytics in their office job? Mm -hmm. um, you know, there are all these, you know, as a society, we need to figure out how we take that older than 25-year-old population and you know, provide a lifetime of different pathways that they can pursue that are going to benefit industry, but they really benefit that person as well. So that's my little spiel on... Uh, on upskilling and talent development. The mindset that you have just put forth is one that's not, and I, it's has not been common in manufacturing, but I think it's again, moving more towards that. And that's the trust that you have to have in the other shop owner. If you're bringing your Ooh. team over there and you belong to PMPA, I believe, Yep. Yep. And they're, they're known for trusting other members. And so we might be unique in that way, but yes. Well, can you just talk a little bit about PMPA and, and, and that trust, because it sounds like perhaps those are some specific manufacturing uh, tools that you've picked up within that organization. Yeah. So uh, PMPA precision machine products association it's the industry association for, you know, sort of uh, advanced, the precision machining world. So multi-spindle to advanced CNC. Um, you know, it, uh, Miles Free is the executive director. Mike Reeder, Precision Plus is the president. Um, it's, it, it's national. And it is known for being this great, you know, so collaborative group, you know, organizing, mm -hmm technical conferences, management conferences, um, you know, regular interactions, great listservs of, you know, um, case in point, we had this ventilator push going on. Well, mm -hmm. we didn't have all the gauges we needed. 
Um, you know, there's so many you know, it's exotic, exotic threads going on these different ventilator parts. Um, so I, you know, I went on the PMPA listserv for a, a, the quality, quality listserv. And I said, so hey, the, any machine shop owners have this. Yep. What is, what is a listserv for the listeners who don't know? Okay. So a listserv is, uh, yeah, it, it, once you are registered in the listserv, you can send an email to the listserv address, which then distributes that email you know, on a individual basis or a daily aggregation or a weekly aggregation to all the other members of the listserv. So mm -hmm. they, you know, all the members of the PMPA quality listserv will receive my question, you know, let's just say within minutes. Yep. Um, and, you know, they can then answer. They can answer me individually or they can answer the listserv. Um, and the example here with the ventilator parts was, uh, we didn't have these gauges. I put the query out to the, you know, the PMPA quality listserv, and I think maybe the CEO, you know, and within two days had three shops coming back saying, hey, I've got that gauge. Uh, you know, it's it may, maybe it's calibrated, maybe it's not calibrated, but right. I'll, I'll, I'll put it in a FedEx, you know, box coming, mm -hmm. it'll be, it'll be your place tomorrow. And, you know, no That's charge. amazing. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. I mean, no, no charge. Uh, you know, of course, I'm going to return it calibrated to them with a thank you note and probably a gift card. You know, to say, yeah. hey, you saved our, you saved their bacon there. Uh, you know, thank you for that. Um, no, and that goes a little bit to that shareable economy. You know, I, I say this idea to the PMPA. It would be awesome if there was a centralized database of, you know, the gauges that each one of mm. the member companies had, uh, because. God, they're, you know, a gazillion of them and we're not using them all and maybe they're right. useful to someone else. You know, again, you know, sort of the Uber model of how do you, uh, you know, access, um, you know, untapped capacity. Uh, you and this, know, and this gets to the digitization that is yeah. happening in manufacturing because sooner or later, all those gauges are going to be put into a database yep. and then those databases will become more standard databases and then you will be able to globally search those and not necessarily have to buy a new one, but to borrow as you yep. described from someone who isn't using it. It's just well, sitting on the shelf. Well, Jay, you, uh, you have a great, uh, you know, entrepreneurial pedigree. Uh, let's, let's, let's work on that idea of you know, <laughs> mo mo monetizing that. Cause if you, if you put the database together and you have all these different shops, you know, register what are their gauges in it you know you could you could have a, a a needy machine shop go into that you know you attach a fee to it both to the shop that gets to rent out their gauge you know and to the central organizations according to the database um you know it's sort of like a, an airbnb of uh, of quality gauges so when you're done with those parts let's we'll work on that well <laughs> there's plenty of folks listening and if you want to jump on it right now you uh, go there for it go. because I think you got your first customer in Bill. There we go. <laughs> before we uh, before we go here, one thing that is very clear is you are incredibly intentional and deliberate in what you do. And do you think about things in that way, or is that just who you are, or what sort of tools do you 
and what sort of tools do you use to go about being intentional? Um, I, you know, I guess, you know, I guess that I've always been intentional about stuff. Um, you know, you want, you want to, you know, serve, uh, you know, be, be part of a, have the, have a, have a goal, have a, have an objective, you know, whether it was in the SEAL teams, whether the GE or, you know, I had an ambition of acquiring a precision machining company, you know, I'm I mean, acquiring a company, you know, I didn't have any specifics around it, you know, way back when I was in the Navy and business school. But when you go on that, when you have that ambition, you know, you got to fill in the details, you know, how are you going to get the skill set to do well at it and how are you going to get the capital? Um, and so it's a, you know, a journey in the interim. So, I think always, always intentional there. I would say my sort of knowing myself, one of my challenges is I probably really need a, an executive assistant to, you know, if you do my, my personality profile, I'm higher, much higher on the uh, autonomy, the drive, the forward thinking, but my, my attention to detail is, uh, you know, off the charts low. <laughs> You know, but it, it, you know, are you going to work on your strengths? Are you going to work on your weaknesses? I'd rather build the team around, you know, my weakness, someone else's strength, as it, you know, so. I, yeah, I like to say amplify your strengths, protect your weaknesses. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I will definitely give a plug for an executive assistant. They, they help us who are lax on the details, make sure we don't make those mistakes that are cost us money, make us look bad. And right, take, right. So it's a critical partner, and I definitely encourage you to look at that and maybe even start with a I virtual will. one. If, uh, true, so. true. One thing be, before we go, yep. would like if you could share with the listeners what got you through BUDS, and I thought that that was really – it's something that is applicable to everyday life for everyone, I think. Yeah, sure, sure. sure. And actually, uh, uh, a good buddy of mine is a columnist for production machining. And just um, Matt Kirkner just uh, a month ago wrote a column on this little piece of advice of mine. Uh, the title of the column was, uh, uh, it's meant to make you quit. Um, and it was a column about how to adapt Buds, buds, seal training thinking to advanced manufacturing in this sort of COVID, uh, you know, challenged era. But you know, going back in buds, um, there's six weeks in. There's hell week, and it's you know, six nights, six days, nights of, you know, always cold, always wet. Uh, you get two hours of sleep sometime Wednesday in that six, six day period. So sometime two hours sleep out in, in the middle somewhere, um, you know, and it's, it's meant to make you quit because uh, they're trying to weed out who they want to have to, you know, further train to enter the community. Um, and the insight that I had there was if I looked at my classmates that, you know, you, when you quit, you ring the bell three times. Um, and uh, and the instructors are devious and carrying this bell down to the surf zone and making it incredibly easy to quit uh, and offering hot chocolate and, <laughs> and donuts if you, if you do quit. So they're really messing with your mind. But what I found was that 
those classmates who quit were the ones that took their present discomfort uh, and they extrapolated it all the way to the, to the end of the week. And they said, there is not a chance I'm going to be able to keep up this kind of discomfort, this kind of pain for four more days or five more days or three more days. But the, the mental trick that I found was, was powerful was that they, um, you get fed, you know, five times a day, uh, you know, through the night and all that stuff. So, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, there isn't food deprivation, just to sleep and other, um, uh, but you get fed. And so my personal motto was make it to the next meal. So, you know, don't extrapolate to the end of the week, you know, just deal with your present reality, make it to the next meal. And, you know, after that, make it to the meal after that. Um, so, and I thought I, I share that with my, with my kids. I say, mm-hmm. you know, if you, you know, homework or exams or whatever it is, okay, you know, just make it to the next meal or the next afternoon or the next day. Don't, you know, again, ex- extrapolate. And I, you know, frankly, I'd say it applies, you know, as much to those of us in, you know, manufacturing in this period right now where what are the, you know, the article came, came out in the, in the times uh, just this morning with GDP, GDP down, uh, uh, you know, 30% or something like that in, in Q2, uh, record low oil and gas prices, you know, you know, COVID uh, hobbled demand, you know, all of this, you know, I think, you know, for my peers and the, the advice I take for myself is, you know, okay, you know, let's, you know, let's do the equivalent of making it to the next meal. Let's not, you know, extrapolate, uh, you know, cash flow challenges, sales challenges. Uh, you know, let's do today what we can do today and not mm-hmm. get caught in our head that it's, you know, the end of the world or, you know, the end of the, the manufacturing dream that you've always harbored. So hope that's helpful, you know, mental trick there. Well, I think it is. It's, You just you just put your head down and get it done and focus on, on what's in front of you and what you can control, and it doesn't mean you're not thinking about the future and the different scenarios, but you can't dwell on them. Right. Yeah. Well, this was so much fun chatting with you. Hey, I awesome. love how you're approaching running your own company. Congratulations! It's been a while now, but you're you're, you're still in the middle of it. Sounds like you have a lot more that you want to do. Anything else you want to share and anything we didn't cover that you want to get out there? No. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a big believer in collaboration and, and teamwork. So, you know, a lot of, uh, you have a lot of listeners in the manufacturing job shop industry. So I just say, uh, you know, you're not, you're not alone in the trench. So reach, reach out to others, you know, it could be as simple as a coffee or as, you know, as, as, as much as, you know, joining an industry group or something, or something like that, because it, you know, it does get lonely in the ownership seat. Mm. Um, you know, there stuff you want to share, don't want to share, you know, there, there, there aren't, um, aren't others you can, uh, 
And so you can confide in, you know, I've been fortunate, Mark Pindell, who sold me the company, uh, you know, still is staying in touch. You know, we talk mm. a couple of times a month, um, you know, his name's still above the door. And yeah. so that's been nice because of all the people in the company, he's the only one that's, you know, sat in that, that, that leadership seat. Um, so that's, uh, so that would be just a piece of advice to other listeners. I think it's great advice. I, I really encourage folks to get involved and to find find peers that where you can have the conversations. So helpful. Awesome. All right. Well, really appreciate your time today. So much for the listeners to take away. And you know what I think I heard over and over is that you you have a plan, you got a mission, and and bite off the small chunks to accomplish it. So thanks for sharing some of those nuggets and getting into the approach and the mindsets that you use to make it. How can people reach you? With COVID and ventilators and all that, I've really realized the power of LinkedIn. So, mm. you know, pulling your, uh, pulling my name off of your podcast description down below and popping into LinkedIn and sending a message. Otherwise, uh, Bill B, B-I-L-L-B at Pindell.com. So any of those and happy to engage. So, you know, I think, you know, we're all, you know, trying to accomplish the mission and take care of the people. So we're all in it together. Good stuff. And you, the listener, hope you had some relevant takeaways today. How can you be a part of upskilling your people, both in the shop and hopefully within your community? And are you willing to pay someone to learn and then pay them more once they've learned it? It's a really critical mindset, but I think it'll pay off for you. Until next time, keep those spindles turning and those lasers cutting. Have a wonderful day.